Hello and welcome to another SPAC Insider podcast, where we bring an independent eye in interviewing the targets of SPAC transactions and their SPAC partners. I'm Nick Clayton, and this week my colleague Marlena Haddad and I speak with Brandon Mintz, CEO of Bitcoin Depot. Bitcoin Depot closed its combination with GSR2 Meteora Acquisition Corp. in June. And Brandon shares what advice he has for other companies considering a SPAC merger in the current market. He also discusses how Bitcoin Depot is hitting the ground running with its acquisition pipeline now that it has public capital at its disposal. And how its position as the sole public company in the Bitcoin ATM space will give it strategic advantages moving forward. Take a listen. So the last time we talked in January, Brandon, you know, Bitcoin was trading about half of what it is now down under 17,000 and Bitcoin Depot itself was not yet a public company, but quite a lot has changed since then. So just how has the ride of 2023 been for you so far? Been great for us. You know, it's always nice to see the Bitcoin price go up as well. But for our business, it does not necessarily have a, a strong correlation to our performance. And within 2023 so far, we've released our Q1 results, and they were outstanding. We had record EBITDA. Uh, we also grew revenue. And so we're really pleased to see the growth uh, in this market with all the headwinds the market's been facing over the past year or so. Great. And so, you know, what were some of the first things on your plate that you're looking to move on to now that you're a public company and now that the listing is completed? Well, there's always more paperwork, of course. <laughs> uh, so first things first. But beyond that, really... Part of the major value of being a public company for us was ability to attract capital. So that's always nice. And that's something we'll continue to to work on and driving value as much as we can for the shareholders, which we think will come with organic growth that we've seen in the past. And hopefully we can continue you know, achieving the level of results that we have because they're super strong. But we also wanted to focus on acquisitions. There has not been a lot of M&A in the Bitcoin ATM space. And we've already acquired one notable company in the industry, BitAccess, around two years ago and have integrated that company entirely into Bitcoin Depot to create a vertically integrated business model. And that saved us a lot of money. We put out a press release early in Q1 that we converted our entire fleet of 7,000 machines to that software, generating over $3 million annual savings. So we want to continue doing things like that and look for other acquisition opportunities that could be accretive to our revenue, but also more importantly, our our bottom line profitability. And we believe there's a lot of targets out there and it's, it's not a situation where we have to go search for them and see if they exist. We believe that there are a lot of options publicly available for us to see in front of us. Nothing definitive has been done with any potential targets at the moment, but we believe that's where a lot of energy will move towards uh, over the next couple of years as a public company. Great. And for those that are not already familiar, can you just walk us through how Bitcoin Depot's services work and how they're different from a crypto exchange? Yeah, totally. So a crypto exchange, you're matching up buyers and sellers to trade with each other. These could be just regular everyday individual retail traders. They could be institutions, a combination of both. Bitcoin Depot is a retail only focused business in terms of It is a physical Bitcoin kiosk and typically a gas station, a grocery store, et cetera, where 
a retail buyer. We don't service institutions or any sort of professional traders that we're aware of, but a, a retail buyer who wants to purchase a relatively small amount of Bitcoin compared to what purchases may go up to on exchanges would go to the kiosk. They would download the Bitcoin Depot wallet app or use any other wallet of their choice. And they would insert cash and receive Bitcoin. Great. And just going off of that, you've also had some shifts in terms of your footprint this year. So what has changed in terms of where your kiosks are available? We have been in nearly every state in the U.S. already once we last spoke and even probably a year ago in, in 2022. We're still very focused on getting the bit license in New York. That's something that has been in process for a while. And it's obviously a, a very big market with roughly 20 million people in the state. So we're continuing to pursue that opportunity. No timeline or definite approval has been provided to us or no path of approval, I should say. And we've been in Canada as well for a couple of years or so now. And we expanded a little bit in Canada, maybe added a few dozen more machines there, but more or less the footprint has been very similar. Uh, we did release our BD checkout product the middle of last year, which added some additional big household names to our retailer portfolio, where people can go buy Bitcoin with cash with just the Bitcoin Depot wallet app in around a minute. We've announced a lot of new partnerships. I believe it's uh, somewhere around six, seven new retail partnerships that we've announced in 2023. A couple notable ones with a few hundred stores each are Jackson's Food Stores and GetGo. And we continue to see a strong pipeline develop for us and retailers be interested in, in hosting Bitcoin ATMs in their store. And the way the model works is we don't charge them anything. We actually provide the Bitcoin ATM that we operate for free to the store. It's pretty small space. It's similar to the size of a cash ATM. And, and we actually pay them typically a, a few hundred dollars per month uh, to host the machine. So it sounds like a, a simple, a simple proposition for the retailers. And we also provide that that payment, which could range from a couple hundred dollars to a few hundred dollars, depending on the size retailer, regardless of performance, typically. So it allows the retailers to understand, hey, if I have this many machines in my store, here's exactly what my monthly payment would be at the bare minimum. And then we typically offer upside beyond that minimum payment for the retailers as well. So we hope to see additional partnerships come to fruition as time goes on. Great. Yeah, I want to get to that in just a second as well. But I'm just interested as well, because you have physical locations, and you track a lot of um, just kind of interesting demographics in terms of, you know, who is using your service specifically. And you've been seeing your median transaction size go up. It looked like it was about 200 uh, in the fourth quarter of last year, in terms of the, the median transaction size at those uh, kiosks. So just sort of how does all that data really inform where you want to be? And like, what are the best locations for you? For us, what really drives it is convenience. Obviously, gas stations and convenience stores are typically open longer operating hours. A lot of our retailer portfolio is even open 24-7. We do have some mall locations as well, and we do focus on grocery stores. Now, in terms of where exactly to place the kiosks, we have a wide demographic of customers. 
it ranges from someone who may be underbanked, who's a little bit more on the, the lower income side to, you know, someone who just doesn't feel comfortable with an online exchange or is getting confused on how to use them, but maybe at a higher income level living in, you know, the heart of an expensive city to be in. Yeah. And and so then going back to then BD checkout in terms of how that's going to help you scale, can you get into some of the details there? Like what is the kind of the total size of that opportunity if you're able to really seize that opportunity and those sorts of transactions? We have thousands of locations with BD checkout already. The benefit of that product is it does not require any hardware. So it's allowed us to reduce expenses as it relates to those transactions. And we've partnered with uh, a payment processor called Income that's headquartered here in Atlanta, actually, to roll out that product. Income has a very large portfolio of, of retailers in the US and around the world. I believe it's hundreds of thousands of locations that they have access to with all of their products. So through that partnership, the expansion opportunity is huge. If we continue working with them to talk to more retailers and get them interested to take on this product, it's it's a, a really large opportunity. Now the retailers already work with, with income. So it's a very simple integration to turn the product on versus having to, to ship physical machines to to stores and hire someone to install the machine, et cetera. So you previously mentioned your software conversion to bid access. So looking on the software side of things, you've attributed much of your improving profitability and EBITDA margins to that rollout of bid access. Can you dive a bit deeper into that and describe how that's made an impact? Yeah, definitely. Prior to buying bid access, we used another software provider in the space. And we just always saw the need to be vertically integrated, to be able to develop additional products, to be able to integrate you know, acquisitions of other Bitcoin ATM operators in more easily, but also to cut expenses as well. So we've been able to, to cut expenses with this acquisition. We've had more flexibility to develop those products as well with, with the launch of BD Checkout last year. And we also think that owning this platform will allow us to buy companies and get them up and running with the Bitcoin Depot name, if that's the name we choose. And, you know, with all of our software settings and, and whatnot on the front end with the machines and on the back end that our employees need. And then just looking at the competition, how many of the other Bitcoin ATM operators out there are competing with you for the same locations? And just how much pressure is there to innovate in this space? Well, there are a large number of Bitcoin ATM operators in the US and internationally. I believe Coin ATM Radar would say something like uh, four or 500, if not more. But the vast majority of them are small, uh, less than 50 machines, maybe even a few dozen operators have 100 or more. So if, if you look at someone who's really small, they're going to have a less sophisticated products that may not be as appealing to the stores that we're trying to go into. They may not have as strong of a compliance program. They may not have as large of a compliance team as well. So we're able to provide the retailers a lot more comfort since we really check the compliance box, I would argue much more than the vast majority of all of our competitors. But also we have experience working with 
some of the largest retailers in the country and in the world, Circle K has somewhere around 15,000 locations worldwide and somewhere close to 10,000 in just the US and Canada. And that is our top account. And so if we're focused on really large names, and some of them are household names, and we have that experience of, of working with the biggest and best already, if we go to a large retailer as Bitcoin Depot and someone else goes as you know, a small Bitcoin ATM operator with less experience and a smaller team, it's a pretty clear choice, I would think. And so when looking at, at those other firms out there, you know, what is sort of the motivation? What, what pressures are there on some of these other companies in the Bitcoin ATM space to sell to a company like Bitcoin Depot? It's, it's tough out there because the market has grown. You know, there are more Bitcoin ATMs as well. There's over 30,000 Bitcoin ATMs in the world today. Uh, a few years ago, you might have been the only Bitcoin ATM in, in a small town in very likely you could have been the only Bitcoin ATM on, on a street corner. And, you know, as there's more competition out there, you really have to provide value or security or convenience to customers to be able to thrive. And, and we've done that. We've continued to offer our non-custodial wallet to users. So they do not have to trust us to keep their Bitcoin secure. We've continued to grow our compliance team and add additional programs and policies to keep our users safe and help prevent fraud and scams as much as possible. And we've continued to get additional money transmitter licenses in a number of states. And it's becoming something that is being required by more and more states as the years have gone on. So someone who is a smaller Bitcoin ATM operator, they just may not have the cash on hand to be able to keep up with these regulatory requirements in terms of licensing and the staff that you need to keep everyone safe in terms of users and even the company in terms of the company you know, having all the licenses it needs on a local and and state level. And then of course the the branding and recognition in the market. Bitcoin Depot is the largest Bitcoin ATM company in the world. So I would imagine from a user's perspective, they would view doing a transaction with the largest company in the world that's really strong brand name in the industry as being a safer option to get their Bitcoin versus some potentially smaller Bitcoin ATM operators. So with all those things being said, at the end of the day, it's just harder for the smaller guys to compete and it may only get harder. And so they have a question to ask themselves of, you know, hey, do I write it out and hope things get better for me? Or do I cash out now and potentially do better than holding these assets and may not have an opportunity to, to sell in the future to the right buyer? And you mentioned right at the beginning that, and as we were talking about uh, even back in January, that you know some of these M and A opportunities were really a, a big part of the why it made sense to go public at this time. And you know now just just looking at you know that pipeline that you'd already somewhat identified, are there still you know, acquisition targets out there that would be strategic in the same way that Bit Access was in terms of bringing something that would fuel things across the entire platform, or is it largely you know some of those smaller players in, in the fragmented space where you keep increasing your your footprint? It could potentially be uh, a mix of both. There could be options that have technology that could help us scale without necessarily adding a lot of additional hardware 
But then there are hardware Bitcoin ATM operators. In addition to that, that may have retailer accounts that we don't have that would be strategic to us, or maybe they have a very heavy presence in a part of the US or Canada or even internationally that we don't have that could benefit us quite a bit. So there could be a lot of variety in what we go after. And how do you sort of value those targets in this space? I mean, is it on a a per location basis, gross transaction value, the EBIT that they're already pulling in, or or what's sort of the prevailing measuring stick in the industry and, and how you look at it? Well, we're focused on strategic value for the long term. And I think it's going to be focused on profitability if we're really looking at our vision, which is focused on increasing bottom line profitability as much as possible over over time. We're not interested in being a company that's just focused on revenue and you know maybe one day, hopefully growing the bottom line. It's really very near term for us that we deliver that consistent growth. So if, if someone is um, not profitable, well, maybe their assets would still be valuable to us and maybe we could become profitable with them. But that's really what we're focused on. Great. And just looking back at the deal a little bit, you know, given this is the SPAC Insider podcast, just having gotten all the way to the other end of it, you know, what are sort of your reflections on the SPAC process overall? There's there's always some chatter about changes to the SPAC model, but just what do you think in, in terms of are the SPAC structures and is the is the market sort of functioning the way that um, that it should here in, in 2023? Well, in 2023, SPACs are probably still similar to a year prior in terms of the workload and you know the back and forth with regulators that needs to be done. There's probably more back and forth now since you, you want to double and triple check some more boxes to not end up like you know some of the some of the SPACs that might not have done so well after the closing of the business combination, but I think it's it's become increasingly more important to have strong capital relationships on the team. So for us, fortunately, we had former bankers on the GSRM team that had pretty extensive capital relationships, and we also hired an investment bank as well who was able to provide some value there. And anyone who's looking at potentially going the SPAC routes before making a decision on who your partners are and who your bank is and you know who on your management team is, is going to help with capital, they need to, to really iron that out and form a concrete plan. Because in this market, everyone in terms of investors is a bit more on edge than they were in 2020 or early 2021. And just looking back at the deal, GSR to Meteora finished with better than average redemptions for SPACs in 2023. And I'm sure you were involved in the process of engaging with investors. So what do you think helped you and your partners achieve this result? I think it was the consistent growth that we've delivered since inception of the company and even near term, but also the simplicity of the business model in the grand scheme of things versus many other crypto companies. We only sell Bitcoin. Uh, we don't custody users' cryptocurrency. We don't do uh, lending for customers. We don't do any staking. We're not doing any mining. At the end of the day, we're buying Bitcoin and we're reselling it to people at the retail level, primarily for cash. And it's not that hard to understand and there's not a lot of these added complexities. And I think that's really contributed 
And do you have any advice for other companies that are thinking about going public through a SPAC and potentially engaging with multiple SPACs in the process? Uh, really just focus on the dilutive effects of SPACs out there. Some are going to be more dilutive than others, but most importantly, the capital relationships, where are those going to come from and making sure you know, you do some diligence on on the front end. Somebody says they have these relationships. Do you think they will actually convert to dollars left in the trust account at the end? Right. And so what's the thing that excites you the most personally moving forward now that Bitcoin Depot has officially gone public? Uh, there's a lot of exciting things with, you know, the opportunities to to use stock and potentially some cash for acquisitions. I think it's it's really great that we'll be able to attract talent even easier than before, but I've always wanted my employees to be able to share in the, the upside and, and the downsides of the company. And I think being able to give everyone in the company who's a full-time eligible employee stock is an awesome thing to do just to create alignment and it, it just makes it more fun.